Today's scripture comes from John 11, uh, the story of Lazarus being risen from the dead. It's 45 verses. I won't make you stand for all of them. Um, But we'll pick up where Jesus has arrived in Bethany, where he's been summoned by Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters. But Lazarus is already dead. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? Jesus asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Take away the stone, Jesus said. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. The story of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. As Matt mentioned earlier in the service, I did just arrive last week from Columbia, South Carolina, where I spent a month interning with Reverend Mark Williams, a former associate and intern of Alamo Heights. Now, I went to Columbia expecting to learn what it means to be a pastor. And I did that. I learned how to lead a church. But as I was reflecting, I realized that the most important theological lesson I learned was not found in a pew where you are sitting, nor was it found in a sanctuary, nor was it even found in a church building. The most important theological lesson I learned was in the kitchen of the Williams household. Let me set the scene for you. Dinner time has just finished, and Mark and his wife Emily are now in their nightly winding down routine for their nine-month-old child, Nolan. If you ever had a child, you know how important these routines are. And so they have eaten dinner and they've given Nolan a bath. The bath has included about as much smiling, splashing, and screaming as a day at Schlitterbahn. But after the bath comes the dreaded bedtime. And what's worse is this, Nolan has figured out that it's bedtime. So as nightly prayers are said and his pajamas are snapped on, a chorus of screams and cries echo throughout the Williams household. But despite Nolan's protest and physical resistance to bedtime, Mark and Emily still put him down to sleep. Now, why do they do that? Perhaps it's because they can see what Nolan can't see and know what Nolan does not know. 
You see, no one in his pain and grief is blinded. He can only see the next five minutes in front of him. But Mark and Emily, they have Nolan's best interests in mind. They know that for Nolan to have a good day tomorrow, he must go to bed right now. And of course, like any parent, Mark and Emily experience the gut-riching feeling of watching their child suffer, of listening to him cry. But they also know that they can see beyond this, and they know that greater things are in store for Nolan in the morning. Now, when you look at John 11, I, I think that that story about Nolan sounds a lot like the story of Jesus with Mary and Martha. Do you agree? This is Jesus' encounter with Mary and Martha. Jesus knows at the very beginning of John 11 what he's going to do at the very end. He knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He even tells the disciples he's going to do it. Yet when he arrives in Bethany, the text says that he is still troubled and greatly moved by the scene that's unfolding in front of him. One of the few times Jesus actually cries in the New Testament is right here. But behind those tears, Jesus knows that greater things are in store. But do Mary and Martha know? The first thing that both of them say to Jesus is this. Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, it's not that Martha and Mary don't believe Jesus. They don't reject his divinity. Martha even says to Jesus, I believe in the resurrection. And she also says, I believe you're the son of God. I think like Martha in this text, you and I have a tendency to grasp beliefs with our mind only. We like to think things only with our brains. We have a bunch of creeds that do this. I believe this. I think this. But do we actually believe? With every fiber of our being, do we believe? With every ounce of energy in our soul, do we believe? Martha gives Jesus these wonderful theoretical intellectual answers that you and I love because we grew up with that. But Jesus, he's looking for real belief, the kind that is lived out right in front of him. But so often, you and I separate our beliefs from our lives. All of us here believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But how often have you, how often have I said, if only? Have you ever said to yourself, or maybe even to God, if only I had gotten into that university, or if only I had that job, if only I made that kind of money, if only. But what I have come to find in John 11 is this, that God's plans, they are always greater. They are always greater than our if-onlys. Now that's hard to get through my mind. That's real hard. But I'm here this morning to remind you that it's true. God's plans are always for our benefit. Even when we're in our fog of pain, God is moving on our behalf. Now, you may be going through a difficult time right now. I don't know. Maybe an illness or a death of a loved one has left you shaken. Or maybe a loss of a job has you questioning if God remembers you. Or maybe it's just some constant sense that you aren't enough, that you're not adequate that you don't measure up to the world's standards. Well, let me tell you this. While the world is never truly reliable, while it's never stable, God is not of this world, which means he is not like this world, which means God is always reliable. He is always available. He's always there. He is always. So how do we begin to get that message from our heads into our hearts? How do we begin to truly believe 
that God and His plans are greater than any of our if-onlys. Perhaps through story. You see, I'm a huge fan, maybe the number one fan, and Jesus and us using stories as a teaching tool. Some of you may like abstract concepts. That doesn't work for me. That stuff flies right over my head. So I'm not going to be using those. The rabbis also use stories called parables to teach difficult concepts in simplistic terms to the people of their day. And the rabbis even said that God himself was a fan of stories. They said this, God created human beings because he loves stories. So stories it is. I'll share a few with you. I won't keep you for too much of your time. The first story I'd like to share with you is about a man who lived uh, 150 years ago. And this man, perhaps more than all of us in this room, experienced pain and stress and crisis every day. And his if-onlys would have been more justified than any of my complaining that I've ever done. His name was Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln was the president of the United States during the Civil War. Now, Lincoln had to watch daily as the death toll rose, as his country dissolved, and even as one of his children passed away. Lincoln could have given in. How many times do you think Lincoln said, if only? He could have given in to the pain. He could have just given up and said, you know what? This is too much. I can't do it. But instead, he said this. He once said, while describing the Civil War, this quote, The purposes of the Almighty are perfect, and they must prevail, though we erring mortals may fail to accurately perceive them in advance. Meanwhile, we must work earnestly in the best light he gives us, trusting that so working still conduces to the great ends he ordains. Lincoln could clearly see, well, maybe not clearly, Lincoln could see through the pain to God's greater plans. Lincoln gave his life for the Union and for God's good plan. Now fast forward about 150 years and you get to Carnegie Mellon University and you'll encounter a professor who is stepping down from his post. You see, his name is Dr. Randy Pausch and Pausch has learned that his pancreatic cancer is terminal, that he only has a few more months to live. Surely Pausch must have thought, if only at some point, if only that treatment had worked to effectively remove my cancer. If only I had a few more years, just a few more years, to see my young children grow up. Pausch, like Lincoln, had a reason to give up, to give in to the pain of this world. But he didn't. Instead, Pausch did something truly miraculous, something completely different. Now, you may have read his book, or maybe you've watched his last lecture on YouTube. You see, Pausch was determined to bring hope to those around him, to impact those who encountered him in his life or beyond, especially his children. He wanted to leave a lasting impact for them. He said this, We cannot change the cards we are dealt, but we can change how we play the hand. Sometimes we can't change the cards we're dealt. Pausch died just a few months after he gave his lecture and wrote his book. But his decision to change strategies, to change attitudes in the face of death, produced an immeasurable impact on those around him and those beyond, including me. God works through the pain that this world brings. Peter Marshall was a pastor in the 1940s, 
And he once declared that God will not permit any troubles to come upon us unless he has a specific plan by which great blessing can come out of this difficulty. At the age of 46, Marshall suffered a heart attack and he passed away. But just two years later, his widow wrote a biography about him and it's entitled A Man Called Peter. You may have heard of it. There was also a movie made up about it because it was so popular. And because of the tragedy of Marshall's death, you and I can now learn the lessons Marshall taught and the life Marshall led. And we can be impacted. What a blessing. That's the beautiful truth about suffering, is that blessing follows. Thus, during a time of suffering, a hope for blessing can be the difference between spiritual growth and spiritual death. Now, it's time for a geography lesson. I know you're really excited. I heard it. But just kidding. Um, But humor me for just a few minutes. Now, if you look on a map, and if you look at John 11, you see that Bethany is just a few miles east of Jerusalem. Now, what lies to the east of Jerusalem when you look on a map? A place called the Judean Desert. The Judean Desert is rocky. It's parched. It's scorched. It's dry. Kind of like San Antonio. It's a place you don't want to end up in when you're alone. Now, while the, while the desert is known affectionately in the Bible as God's land, and while many transformations and miracles actually take place in the desert in the Bible, I would argue that the desert would not actually be the desert without its counter-identity, without its opposite, which is the promised land. Now, imagine if you would that life is a journey. We do this all the time. It's not very hard. And so, if life is a journey, there are points when you enter into a time of grief, of stress, of worry, of uncertainty. And so, when you reach this point in your life, you're walking into a dark tunnel. A very dark tunnel. And this tunnel is known in the Bible as the desert. So this dark tunnel, known as the desert, is so dark that your vision has to be adjusted. And you are slowly transformed whether you are aware or not. But the great thing is, is that in this darkness, God is there with us. He is our leader and our guide. He is walking every step of the way, and we rely on him while we're walking in the darkness. Now, there are three options people usually take when they get to this dark tunnel. Some people step up to the tunnel, and they see the darkness. And it's so dark that they don't think God is in there because they can't see him. So what do they do? They turn around. They don't walk into the tunnel. They never go through that experience. They never conquer their pain. Now others, they they step into the tunnel confidently and they continue to walk, but eventually they slow down and they get stuck in the darkness. They get stuck in their pain and never come out. But then there are those who step into the tunnel and they continue to walk and they walk with God at their side, knowing that he is there guiding them. And at the end of the tunnel, they eventually see a light, a light that's shining brightly. What's at the end of the desert? The promised land. What's at the edge of the desert in John 11? Bethany. So Bethany, a promised land, is where the light shines. What happens in places like Bethany in the Bible? A new way of life. A renewal of life. A resurrection. Blessing follows suffering. Life follows pain. Rob Bell, a famous theologian in our day, was once a part of a rock band. 
And his rock band was about to get really big. They lived in the Chicago area, and they were playing their biggest shows to date. And one day, Bell got a headache. And so Bell took some aspirin, assuming it would go away, but it didn't. By midnight, Bell was wondering if he would get any sleep. And by 3 a.m., Bell was wondering if he was living, if he was going to live through the night. So he had his friend take him to the hospital, where he was diagnosed with viral meningitis, which affects the fluid around your brain. And Bell was very sick. He was in the hospital. He was bedridden for a few weeks, maybe a month. And during this time, his band had to cancel their biggest shows, and consequently, they broke up. And that was Bell's life. He didn't know where he was going after that. Do you think he maybe said, if only, if only I didn't get sick? But something interesting begins to happen. Bell's friends begin to talk to him, and they call him. And most of them share this similar message. You know, Rob, I always saw you as a pastor. They continue to tell him this, and it gets in his head. And so he eventually goes to seminary, and he becomes a pastor. And now Bell is one of the most influential thinkers in modern Christianity. A news source once interviewed Bell about his story, and he had this to say. My plans fell apart, which opened me up to an entirely new future. This truth about the latent seeds of creativity being planted in the midst of suffering takes us deep into the heart of the Christian faith. We are invited to trust that in the moments when we are most inclined to despair, when all appears lost and we can't imagine any way forward, that is precisely in those moments when something new may be about to be birthed. He closed with this. God is in those moments, grieving with us, shedding tears with us, feeling our pain and turmoil with us, and then inviting us to trust that something good can come from even this. So my challenge to you is this. My challenge for all of us is this. Next time we come to a time of grief, of pain, a desert, maybe you're already in that desert, will we continue to cry out if only? Or will we begin to realize And to trust that God and God's plans are greater than our if-onlys. If so, I recommend that we take God's hand and we walk with a more determined step through the darkness, through the tunnel, into Bethany, into the promised land, into the fantastic future God has laid out for us.